0: Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor, and this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana, over the past week, and we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers, as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. This is the first question. Can someone please explain why higher levels of insulin cause the kidney to retain more sodium? I'm not understanding this mechanism. And this, if you're listening to this question and you're like, um, excuse me, Dana, I didn't know that that was something that I needed to know. Um, this is definitely, you know, the type of thing that you're finding out when you're reading some of the explanations. And if this is something new to you, totally fine. This is where I kind of write it with the renal. So what you want to be thinking about, too, is there's a correlation between. So if you're having High insulin levels. This is typically going to be causing higher sodium, um, higher sodium retention, and this is a big reason why one of the biggest causes of kidney disease is going to be type two diabetes. Because when you're having that high insulin resistance, that's going to be damaging and causing dysfunction of the kidneys such as you having too much sodium in your blood. So what I would take away from this is that you do have that relationship. And when you're thinking really kind of about like the, the mechanism, I wouldn't worry about kind of going too deep into it. But what you want to be thinking is that the insulin is going to stimulate the sodium transport back into the blood as it's going through the kidneys So that's why you're having higher sodium retention. Um, They go together. But, you know, when you're reading the explanations too, you want to make sure you're kind of logging that into your notes. But don't worry if you're like, oh my goodness, how much of this mechanism do I need to understand? Not much. You want to understand that having high insulin levels that we would see with insulin resistance, decreased insulin sensitivity, would kind of tell the kidneys like, hey kidneys, reabsorb you know, more sodium than you normally would. So we already know from kind of studying diabetes and renal, and these are a great one to study together, that hypertension and type 2 diabetes are the two leading causes of chronic kidney disease. So especially when you're talking with your patients with diabetes and they're, you know, maybe they're in the pre-contemplation stage where they're like, oh, this really isn't important, telling them, you know, Why do we want to get your blood sugars under control? I, you know, I understand this is the only issue you have right now, but you could be at risk, you know, of having chronic kidney disease too. So great question and a great example of a question to ask on the Facebook page, because you know, if you're seeing something like this, you want to make sure that you're kind of saying, how much do I need to know about this topic? And that's why I love, you guys always hear me talk about pocket prep, I love pocket prep. Um, I love the pocket prep examples, but if you're like, oh my goodness, I'm finding myself going down a rabbit hole, blah, 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 just ask it on the page. Or if you just listen to the podcast, email me at danajfirenutrition@gmail.com at gmail.com and feel free to ask, Dana, do I need to know this? Can you talk about it on the podcast? Because a lot of the time with the exam, we get so stressed that it's like, I need to know to know everything, and that's just not the case. I'm always here to dispel fears. Next question we have is from a student, and she says, Hi, everyone. I'm working on an inman practice exam and came across a question about checking gastric residuals. The question states, quote, tube-fed patients should have gastric residuals checked, and the correct answer is every four hours during the first 24 hours of feeding. She then says, "However, I have read the Aspen guidelines are moving away from checking gastric residuals. My hospital did not check gastric residuals during enteral nutrition in, uh, initiation. Does anyone know what the CDR would consider the correct answer? Again, great questions you guys have this week. So the Inman, I think the Inman's great. I use the Inman to study on." it is not particularly updated, even though updated quote-unquote versions go out each year. So let's talk about gastric residuals and what is known. So what you're thinking with the gastric residuals is what this is, is this is typically for G2 patients. You can also see them use it on an NG tube, but that's a little, you know, not as common. But so the idea with the gastric residuals is The old teaching is that, you know, you should check the gastric residuals every four hours and just make sure that there's not too much enteral formula in the stomach, because if there's too much enteral formula in the stomach, that could increase risk for aspiration. But what was happening there is you would be having nurses, doctors, whoever's doing it, checking the gastric residual. So what they would be doing is taking a syringe to the tube and kind of pulling it back and measuring how much tube feeding is in there. And there, it wasn't always getting put back in. And also, you guys know, right, here's my, if you're on the Facebook Live, I'm showing you guys my little my little stuff, stomach, he's so cute. Uh, but like our stomach, right, is a reserve. So There should be food in it if I'm tube feeding, there should be tube feeding in it if I'm running the tube feeds. It can take anywhere between two to four hours for food or tube feed to leave the stomach. So if I'm running the tube feed on my patient and I pause it and I check a gastric residual, there's going to be tube feed in there as it should because my stomach's a reserve, right? Like I that would be equivalent to me. So before the live, I had a wonderful veggie quesadilla. If you checked my stomach, right? Maybe we're gonna do a little x-ray. Um you're gonna see the majority of my quesadilla is in my stomach, right? Because it should be. I don't have gastroparesis, I'm not gonna aspirate on it, because my stomach's gonna take a few hours to empty out. So There was that kind of concern with the gastric residuals. Also, when they checked the gastric residuals and they were fine, they weren't always putting it back in. So you were having these cases where it was like, pause the tube feed, okay? Check the gastric residuals, whether I'm like, oh, it's high or low, whatever. And then I'm dumping out the tube feed. So you could have a patient where if they're getting three, 400, even 100 milliliters syringe from their stomach and then tossed out. And I think the tube feed's giving, let's just do easy numbers, like a 1,000 milliliters. And now all of a sudden, I'm taking out a 100 every four hours. Now I'm underfeeding the patient. So the new guidelines, and remember, Gina Min didn't write the exam right. Like I said, be suspicious of updates Especially if you're using an older version, there's not, you know, honestly, there's not a crazy amount of updates, but if there's a question, ask me. I want to make sure you guys are using the most up-to-date material. So the new guidelines with gastric residuals is that you do no longer check every four hours. So this question in Inman is wrong just because it's outdated right? We should not be checking every four hours in the first 24 hours of feeding. That's the old school, right? You're still going to find people who do that. What the new recommendations are are that when you have a patient on tube feeding, if there is a concern for tube feed tolerance, so the patient, maybe they're distended, maybe they're nauseous, maybe they're throwing up. If there's a reason to think, hmm, This patient's having delayed gastric emptying. I would check a gastric residual. And if I check it, and remember, checking is attaching syringe, drawing it out. I know the sound effects make it so much better, more fun, right? And it's less than 500 cc's or 500 milliliters. You put it back in, and there's no indication at that point to stop the tube feed. So that's the new recommendation if there's no signs of intolerance, we're not checking them. If we are concerned for intolerance and there's less than 500 milliliters, put it back in. So great example of where it differs a little bit. And definitely, you know, look at the updated guidelines. Aspen, right, is great. That's the American Society of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition I'm also a CNSC certified nutrition support clinician, dietitian, So this is my bread and butter. So, I, you know, you guys know I love all exam questions, but especially nutrition support ones too. So do not hesitate. Do not hesitate to ask. And going off that question on enteral, we're going to jump to a question for me on um, parenteral. So here's the question. What labs would you want to check before starting TPM and why? And if you guys have taken any of my classes before, you know that I want you to understand the why. If you can list off all the labs, but I go, well, why? And you're like, oh, I don't know. You're not actually learning the topic. You're not going to be able to apply it. And especially when there's so much information on the exam, a big goal that I have for you guys is I want you to feel comfortable in the topics. I didn't say you need to be, you know, a master of the topics but I want you to feel comfortable in the topics where you have enough information that you can draw on it and help to eliminate the answers. Connecting topics is important. So you guys did a great job on commenting on this one. So I'll kind of read through the comments and we can chat about them. So one student saying, I would check the LFTs. This would help to see liver function. Definitely, especially with TPN." One of the things we're worried about is TPN or PN-associated fatty liver disease from overfeeding or giving too much lipid. So checking the LFTs would be really, really great to kind of just check for underlying liver concerns. We also want to check them to trend them and make sure they're not going up as I initiate TPN. So typically we're checking LFTs daily when we're initiating TPN. Next one a student said was, the CBC, a complete blood blood count, and they said, I would check this for infection or inflammation. Correct, but especially white blood cell count, right? The white blood cells are going to increase if there's some sort of infection, and especially with CPN, we're worried about line infections. So seeing, you know, a big jump in red blood of white blood cells, sorry, white blood cells would make you a little suspicious. Maybe you want to take a culture. Um, then we have electrolytes definitely, right? Sodium, we are putting sodium in the TPN. We need to know what that level is. Um, And then also, of course, the magnesium potassium phosphorus with that concern for refeeding as well too. Um, Triglycerides is another really important one to check. On the exam, something they like to ask is if a patient has high triglycerides, what should you do? And the answer, if it's over 400, you would want to hold the hold the lipid, and you can always add some carnitine too to help get the triglycerides down. But you wouldn't want to hold the TPN because the issue is the lipid, not um, not the other the other macronutrients. Although you do definitely want to make sure you're not overfeeding the patient, so just checking that math would be important. Another really important lab would be the blood sugars. Right, we're always worried about Hyperglycemia from the TPN, which is why we want the glucose infusion rate to be less than five milligrams per kilogram per minute. But also, we need to make sure we're managing the blood sugars here, right? Some patients have fine blood sugars, and then you start TPN and they shoot up. And we're concerned because high blood sugars increase the risk of infection, right? And I also don't want them getting diabetes either. Don't forget with blood sugars too, you can see them creep up as you start to cycle the TPN and then fusion rate just gets quicker. So blood sugars, definitely for sure. Another great one too is kidney function, right? Beyond cracking too, make sure we're not, you know, we're not dehydrating the patient, making sure we're watching their kid, um, their kidney function too is really, really important. So those are, those are all really, really great ones to check. But again, I want to make sure that you guys are, are keeping in mind the why and then linking, linking them to the other disease states. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana R.D., every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, DanaJFNutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.